Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. So I'm the children's and families pastor here at City Reach and I I just consider it a real privilege to be able to minister to the generation that is to come. They are going to be, like I said, our future leaders. Uh, and they themselves are going to minister to the generation after them. But uh, with kids, they, they don't stay little. We, they grow up, right? They become teenagers. And um, I know in my late teens, I did some silly things and my words often caught me out and got me in compromised situations. And so one time in my late 20s, a friend and myself, we were in our first year at uni, and we decided to take up running. Now, nothing serious. We were running about 5Ks twice a week, and uh, we had just run our first 10K race. Now, we, we were pretty chuffed with ourselves, and we went out with some friends from university, and we were talking about this race. And just at that time, a person with a Comrades Marathon t-shirt walk past. Now, the Comrades Marathon in South Africa is, is quite a big deal. It's this ultra marathon. It's 90 kilometers run between two cities. It's usually on a public holiday, so everyone watches. And we very foolishly said, one day, we are going to have a t-shirt like that. And we said it in earshot of all our friends, and they heard, they thought this was the funniest thing they'd ever heard. You guys, not a chance. And you know, there's nothing worse when you appeal to the teenage ego that you can't do something. There's something inside a teenager. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. And anyway, long story short, by the end of the evening, we had committed ourselves to doing the Comrades Marathon. We had publicly said, this is what we're going to do. And now, Oh my goodness, our words have caught us out. And we were no longer driven by this desire to succeed. We were just driven by sheer fear that we would fail. So we didn't have YouTube in those days. We actually had to speak to real people to get some advice. I know that's shocking to the millennials, but it's true. So we joined a local running club. We thought, let's speak to people who have actually done this kind of thing. But little did we know that we were entering a parallel universe, the world of runners. They're a strange breed. They are. So, I mean, if you think about it, let's just talk about it as a sport. Running, it's about one foot in front of the other. You just move from A to B. That's it. That's as exciting as it gets. But you get with a community of runners, they will talk about running all the time. They get together and they talk about running. They talk about their running shoes. They even develop their own language. They start talking about PBs. We didn't know what a PB was. Oh, it's a personal best. What's your personal best? And anyway, so we rocked up at this, this local running club and we said, we, we plan to run the comrades. People looked at us a little bit with skepticism, but they said, okay, if you're serious, the person you want to speak to is Chris. So we, we found Chris, and he's this tall, skinny, like beanpole kind of guy. You know, I'm sure he would, the wind actually made him run. He was, he was that, that kind of skinny. But anyway, this was the most enthusiastic guy about running you have ever met. And when we, we just mentioned the word comrades, and he just went off, and he started talking about all his running achievements and how he trains and all that. And then he said this statement. He said, running is life. Without running, I'd be dead. Nothing, nothing worth living for. 
And, and to him, running was life, right? It was a way to life. And remembering that statement, I thought about today's passage, and I thought, when we come and we look at Christianity, do we see it as a way to life or a way of life? A way to life or a way of life? Now, just think about that for a second. What would you say? Is Christianity a way to life or a way of life? And the answer is both. both. Yes. <laughs> Pastor Tim was cheating. He was here in the first service. <laughs> okay. So the answer is both. If you neglect one, you actually miss what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But it is both in a very particular order. First, we come to Jesus. We find life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We come to him. We find life. And then we start working this out as a way of life. It becomes natural to us how we do life. And Paul is arguing this in Ephesians. The first three chapters, he's talking, he's reminding us what it means to find Jesus as a way to life. He reminds us that we have been blessed, we have been redeemed, we have forgiveness of sins. That is the starting point. And he says, once you have all this, then in chapters four, five, and six, he begins working this out practically. What does this mean? What do our lives look like? So he starts off. If you, will, if you have your Bibles, just open with me. We're going to work through some of these verses. So we're going to start in verse 17. And this is what Paul says. He says, Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul, if you notice his words, he says, I say and testify. He's using legal words like he's in a court case and he's, I'm testifying to this fact that you cannot walk two ways. You cannot walk your old life and your, old, and your new life. It's impossible. And we tend to think that the old life and the new life run parallel to each other. So sometimes we're walking in the new life and then we step out and we're walking in the old life. And Paul says it's not like that at all. You, in fact, they are opposite directions. At one time you were walking this way, you came to Jesus as a way of life and he turned you around and now you're walking this way. And every step you take is a step away from your old life. And for us, when we started our training at Comrades, Chris asked us, he said, how do you guys train? So we said, oh, we do five kilometers twice a week. And it, this poor guy, he almost had a heart attack. It's like, that is not training. That is not training. You guys need to throw that out. You need to get rid of it. This is training. If you plan on running the Comrades, this is the way you need to do it from now on, and he gave us his training schedule. But for us, it changed first in our minds. We had to renew the way we were going to think about this. And then that flowed through into our actions. And Paul actually begins, he talks about the mind of the Gentiles and not to live that way. He says they have a futile mind. Now, futile literally means to go nowhere, right? You've heard of it's a futile exercise, like it's not even worth doing. And Paul's saying it's kind of like, it's like being on a merry-go-round. 
And people get on and they go round and round and round. And while they're on it, they enjoy it. But when they get off, they have gone nowhere. It's the futility of their mind. So Paul lays out very clearly three principles of the new life. These are the three principles. Principle number one, don't be a lemming. Do any of you know what a lemming is? Okay, a lemming, for those of you who don't know, is this rodent-like creature. Now, it was thought that they live on cliffs, and then when their population gets too much, one day, one of them just starts running, and they all follow, and they all just jump over the cliff into the sea, and they drown. Now, there's some debate whether that's actually a myth or not, but the point is, if someone says you are a lemming, what they mean is you're a member of any large group following an unthinking course towards mass destruction. You're a member of any large group following an unthinking course towards mass destruction. And Paul's basically saying, he says, do not follow the lives of those around you. Do not follow the way that the world lives. And he says it in very strong language. He paints this picture of what it means to live without knowing Jesus. So here it is, verse 18 and 19. Read with me. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And Paul says, their minds and their lives are indicated by three things. They're characterized by these three things. If you notice, they are darkened minds. They are ignorant minds, and they alienate themselves. Now, a darkened mind, if you think about it, that to darken something, you have to intentionally shut out the light. So if you at home and you draw the curtains because you want to darken the room, you are intentionally shutting out the light. You choose not to have the light there. You turn away from it. And Paul says, if you notice, they have an ignorant mind. Now, Paul's not saying that they are not clever or intellectual. In fact, you can have a whole string of degrees and letters after your name, and you can be an expert in your field, and yet you can be ignorant of the most important things in life. You can live your whole life never asking the question, why am I here? What is my purpose? What is God like? And when that happens, he says, you become alienated from the life God has from you. He has this life. Now, another word for alienated is the word estranged. So, so often people, they are estranged from their family. They're alienated from their family. It implies that you could be there. You could be, but you have chosen to separate yourself. I don't want that life. I've chosen this. So it's kind of like Paul saying, God is screaming to people of his existence. The psalmist in Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. 
Night after night, they reveal his knowledge. He's there. He's shouting to people, look at me. Look at creation. I am, I'm showing you my glory. And they can choose not to respond, to darken their minds, to live in ignorance, just to pretend that that is just a giant mistake. So what's the reason behind all this? Why would, why would people intentionally choose to live like this? Why would you choose to make that choice with your mind? And Paul says it's because of a callous or a hardened heart. Now, if any of you have, have tried to play the guitar, especially a steel string guitar, when you first start, it really, really hurts, right? The, the tips of your fingers. Anyone know that? Was that just me? Okay, it hurts, right? But the more you play, what happens to your fingers is you develop this, these calluses, this hardening to the point where you no longer feel. And so what's Paul saying? These people have toughened up themselves that they no longer feel. Now, this hardening is not just like a once-off kind of thing, like playing the guitar. It happens slowly. And Paul says it happens slowly because they indulge themselves in their sensuality. And that what, what that means is that all their desires, all the way that they want to live, they just indulge themselves in it. This is the way... I want to live. This is what I believe is the truth. This is the, the God that I've created in my mind, and that is how I choose to live. And the more you indulge yourself in your own desires, in your own way, the harder your heart becomes. And here's the crazy thing, right? You would think the more you indulge yourselves in your feelings and your desires, and everyone should do this, you actually become insensitive to others' feelings. You become so concerned with yourself and what you desire and what you should get. And Paul uses the word greed. They actually become greedy for impurity. They want more and more stuff. They want more and more pleasure. They indulge themselves more and more and more and more and more. Are we uncomfortable yet? <laughs> That's how they were. Now, it never, ever satisfied. Greed never satisfies. And just before we walk away thinking, oh my goodness, those are terrible people. How can they choose to darken their mind? They choose never to ask the most important questions. They choose to indulge themselves in their desires, give away to their passions. Paul reminds us that that is how you once were. That is how you once were. But you came to Christ. He gave you life. Now, don't be a lemming. Don't be a lemming. Don't follow an unthinking course because it's leading to a mass destruction. Instead, says, Paul gives us the second principle. Rather than that, he said, be like a butterfly. And a butterfly is this strange insect, right? It's not born a butterfly. It actually goes through metamorphosis and it changes. So it changes from something that's pretty ugly, a worm, into something beautiful. It goes from this insect which can only see what's right in front of it. It only has this tiny little bit of dirt that it's interested in to suddenly being a butterfly and it sees the world completely new. It's changed. It's beautiful. It brings beauty to others and it sees the world differently. 
Paul says, you didn't learn ignorance or a hard heart from Christ. He says, actually, you learned the exact opposite in him. And I can remember when I, I became a, a believer, a young believer, and I started telling people I was a believer. And one of the comments that I would get is like, oh, Christians, they're so closed-minded or they're so narrow-minded. And in fact, it's the exact opposite that Paul's reminding us to. He's saying the Gentiles live with this darkened view, this ignorant mind. When you come to Jesus, he just opens up your mind to all these new things, this new way of living. It's totally different to our natural nature. He gives us a new nature that, that explores new things. We have a new way of doing relationship, a new way of relating to our Creator. In fact, Christians are the most open-minded people there is. A darkened mind will just want to do what you want to do and alienate yourself from the life that is in God. But in God, Paul says, you were taught, yes. you were taught yes. to be and see Him. Amen. Guys, it says we heard about Jesus. That means somebody told you about Jesus. You came to Him, you heard about Him. And he says, you were taught in him. We still need teaching, right? When we come to Christ, we still need teaching. And every Sunday or every time we gather as a real life group and we look at God's word, every time we study and sit under his word, it comes away with the whole thing of leave your old way of living and follow me. You're being taught in him. And Paul's like saying, like a butterfly, you're no longer a worm, and he calls you into a cocoon for a while, and where you teach. Now, a butterfly, in a cocoon, what it's doing is growing its wings, and it strengthens its wings by trying to break out of that cocoon. And you know you'll kill a butterfly if you try and help it out of a cocoon. If you cut open a cocoon and, all right, fly now, it won't be able to fly. It needs to, to be challenged. It needs to stretch and fight its way out. It needs to grow. And become strong. And that's when we sit under God's word. Oh my goodness, it challenges us. It opens up our minds. Mm. And Paul leads to this. He says, the third principle is God has given you a gift. And it's a new pair of walking boots. So when we started our running careers... <laughs> One thing Chris looked at was our shoes, and he said, you can't run the comrades in those. You need to change your shoes. So he took us down to the, the running shop, which, again, is a totally different world for us. Who knew there were so many pairs of shoes to run in? But there were, right? And he just got us, like, pick these shoes, try this on, run this way, and he said, those are the shoes you need. These are the shoes you need to run the comrades in. And interestingly enough, they were the exact same pair that he wore. But um, anyway, so they're, they're the right one. And Jesus has given us a new pair of walking boots. And he says, put them on. Now, the interesting thing about walking boots is you can never wear two pairs of boots, right? My little girl, she's five years old. She'd love to be able to wear 10 pairs of shoes at the same time. But you can't. And only wear one pair of boots at the same time. And Paul's saying, 
Get rid of your old pair. In fact, if you had to go back and you had to look at your old pair of boots, that old self, you would see the name in it is the name of a dead person. Those boots are no longer yours. These are the boots that are given to you. These are the clothes you should wear. Jesus has given you a new nature. He's given you a new nature. And he says, these boots that I've given you, as you put them on, they're a branded pair of boots. It's not Gucci. It's not Armani. The brand is righteousness and holiness. You guys are allowed to say amen. That's an awesome (laughs) gift. That is an awesome gift. Righteousness and holiness. And he says, if you put on righteousness and holiness and you begin to walk in those boots, this is what happens to your life. These three things will start to happen. You will become truthful. You will become trustworthy. And you will become tender. Truthful, trustworthy, and tender. Read with me verse 25 to verse 27. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So Paul lays out these principles. He says, as a, as a church family, this is the life. This is the, the way of life that we're to live out. We are to be truthful. And we need to learn to be truthful, right? So I, I don't know if any of you have kids, but uh, certainly for my children, I never, ever have to teach them to lie. They just do that so well, and they just do it naturally. I have to teach them to tell the, the truth, right? To, to be false actually belongs to your old nature. Now, there are many ways in which we can be false. And one of the ways is that we just tell a deliberate lie. Or the other way is that we just don't say anything, or we don't say what we really think or how we really feel. And that is falsehood. Uh, if we look at the fact, like, why, why do we lie? Why, why are we false sometimes? And if I have to be honest with myself, often it's because I, I lie to get something or to avoid something. Either I want to get somebody's favor, I want to be liked, I want something, or I want to avoid trouble. So I lie. And Paul's saying, the more false you get, the more false, the the less real you become, the more you put up this mask. So you can meet someone, you can have dinner with them, you can have coffee with them, you can spend time with them, but if there's falsehood, you don't really, really know who they are. And Paul teaches teaches us, he says, if you are to live a life of truthfulness, You need to let people know who you really are. You need to let people know who you really are. And he spells this out, right? He spells this out. This is what truthfulness looks like. Falsehood, you lie because you want to get something or you want to avoid something. He says, but truthfulness 
is this. You are truthful with your words in your conversation and you're also truthful about the way you feel with your emotion. And Paul says here, he says, let every one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So I heard a story. I don't know whether it's a preacher's story, but uh, you know when a preacher's story, <laughs> but it's a good, good story. So a guy who's just become a believer, he goes to his pastor and he says, pastor, I thought now that I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to tell the truth. And he says, yeah, that's right, you are. He goes, this is not working for me. He says, well, what, what do you mean? He says, well, my neighbor invited me around the other day and they've just redone their whole kitchen. And she asked me, what did I think of it? And I said, I think it's terrible. It's ugly. And now she's not speaking to me. Now that poor guy, he's done the right thing. He probably, probably needs a little bit of tact. But he's actually done the right thing. He's expressed what he really thinks and feels. And Paul says, listen, the reason we need to speak the truth is because you need to get a big picture. It's not just you. You are part of a family. You're part of a body. And you need to speak accurate and truthful messages to each other in order to function. So my physical body now, my brain is sending a message to my tongue. It's sending a message to my hands to move, probably too much. But it needs to be an accurate message in order for my body to function properly. And it's the same with a spiritual body. We need to be speaking truth to one another in order to function as a body, clearly. Otherwise, we won't. We're going to be spastic and not functioning the way we should. So, Truthfulness with our words helps us to function as God intended us to function. And then the other side of that is truthfulness with our emotions. And we come to this, this strange verse. Well, at least I found it strange. It says this, be angry and do not sin. Now, usually we think being angry is a sin. Okay? Paul actually says be angry. Now, I find there's usually two ways in which people get angry. One is you have that slow sort of simmering kind, right? The kind that just builds and builds and builds and builds until you have this volcano explosion. It's the straw that bakes the camel's back, and you just have this outburst of anger. Or you have the kind of people who just like, in a moment, they're angry, right? Like, they're upset by something. You can see their anger. It comes out straight away. So let me ask you a question. Who, who of you suffers from the slow, simmering kind of anger? Can I have a show of hands? Okay. <laughs> who of you suffers from the, the outburst kind of anger? Okay. Who of you suffers from both? <laughs> okay, good. And there's a whole lot of you who didn't put up your hands. Uh, you're more sanctified than I am. Okay, but usually when we get angry, we get angry at the wrong things. We get angry, or at least I get angry, when things don't go my way, or someone upsets me about the way I think they should do something. And my anger spills over and it destroys a good thing. It usually destroys a relationship. So between husband and wife, you destroy the peace and harmony that you have by your anger, or you destroy the harmony and peace you have between parents and children. Paul's saying, 
That's not the kind of anger I'm talking about. The kind of anger I'm talking about is being angry at the right things. So what are the things that we should be angry at? I think we should be, we should be angry when we see injustice. We should be angry at our own sin. I mean, Jesus got angry. Do you know that? There's, one of, there's that psalm, right? I just, uh, him goes, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Did anyone know that one? Now, Jesus was never, never gentle, right? He was just, he was gentle with some people, but he was tough sometimes. And Jesus got angry, but he got angry at the right things. He got angry whenever he saw children being neglected or hurt. He got angry when the poor were exploited. And often I think we need, we need to be angry a little bit more, but at the right things. Now, the key thing Paul's trying to get you is like you can be angry, but the most important thing is how you respond to your anger. We can even be angry at the right thing, but then how we respond to it leads to sin. So Paul says this, right? So an example, if we are in a church family and someone starts a rumor about us or a half-truth, now, that's slander. That's probably something we should be angry about. But what we don't do is we don't deal with that conflict straight away. We don't walk into the conflict. We don't tell the person exactly how we're feeling. And we let the sun go down on our anger. And it begins to stew in us, right? That person doesn't just become someone who might have told a half-truth about us. That person becomes Hitler, in our minds, right? We magnify them. And, and what Paul's saying is that you're giving the devil a foothold when you don't deal with it. He will sow seeds of division in your heart. He will magnify things in your own mind. And Paul says, don't let that happen. Don't let that anger. Be angry at the right things, but deal with it the right way. Paul says, be trustworthy. When you walk with your new pair of boots in righteousness and holiness, you will become trustworthy. And you'll be trusted in two ways. You'll be trusted with other people's stuff and you will be trusted with your words. So let's, let's talk about stuff, right? So I think we can all agree as Christians, as believers, it's wrong to steal. Is everyone okay with that one? Yeah. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say you move from being a thief to someone who doesn't steal. He says you move from being a thief to someone who gives. So you, you go from being this person who takes something that you have no right to, to being a person that gives something to someone else which they have no right to. Far better way to live. You know, God has blessed us with so much stuff. I mean, we live in one of the most blessed nations in the world in that regard. And Paul says, as you walk out in righteousness and holiness, you are a steward of the stuff that you have. And you become trusted with the stuff that you have. The Lord will trust you with more stuff if you steward it well. 
Other people will trust you with more stuff as you steward it well. And then we need to be trusted with our words. Paul says this, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Have you ever had that, that awkward moment where you bring along a new friend or someone you know into your company of friends and you're worried about what they're going to say? Because you don't really trust them with their words, right? You think, oh my goodness, I hope they don't say that thing that they usually say. I hope they don't put their foot in their mouth again. And Paul's saying, that's not how we live. People should trust you with, with your words. They should, be, they should feel safe to have you around knowing that you're going you're to be trusted with your words. And Paul says, to be trusted, you need to say the right thing at the right time and in the right way. And he spells it out like this. He says, the right thing, only such is good for edifying. We don't say things that unnecessarily tear down. We say things, the right thing, for good of edifying. At the right time, as fits the occasion. Sometimes we need to restrain ourselves. Now, that's more difficult for, for some of us, but we need to speak at the right time. And then Paul says, in the right way, that it may impart grace to those who hear. And in a fellowship, we become trusted with our words. People invite us to speak. They feel safe around us. And Paul says, as you walk in righteousness and holiness, you begin to be more tender. You begin to be more tender. And we were talking the other day about an elderly woman and the person I was talking to said this. He said, they, they've had a hard life and that's why they're so tough. Implying that they had many trials that have come into their life, many difficulties. But when those difficulties have come, it's toughened them up. It's made them tough. And Paul says, that doesn't happen to us. As believers, we are not going to have an easy life. We are never promised an easy life. We're never promised a shield from all trials. But the difference is, as a believer, when you come across a trial, you become increasingly tender. Your old nature develops this toughness. It becomes hard. Your new nature becomes tender. And we become tender in two very practical ways. We become tender towards God, and we become tender towards other people. It implies a great tenderness, a gentleness to know when we've grieved the Holy Spirit of God. And to me, that's just an amazing thing. As we read that verse, it teaches us that God has feelings, God feels things, and that we can affect those feelings. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, and it takes this great tenderness to know when that happens. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling when you've, you've hurt someone 
that you really love, right? You really care for and you hurt them. That feeling that you get like, oh, that doesn't feel right. I'm, I'm so sorry that I did that. Do we feel that same tenderness when we grieve the Holy Spirit? And I'll tell you why the Holy Spirit is grieved. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who sealed us for the day of redemption. It's as if he's put a stamp on us and said, guys, you need to know that one day you are going to be completely free from sin and self. I have, I have stamped you for that day. That's why he's, he's grieved when we miss them. Paul says, you don't need to grieve the Holy Spirit, but when you do, be tender to him. And as we grow in a tenderness towards God, it works out as a tenderness towards people. You know, the, the church family, we tend to hurt each other. And I think if, if you come to City Reach expecting never to be hurt, you're going to be disappointed, right? Because you're amongst a people that are growing and pursuing Jesus, but we're not perfect, and you're not perfect. So we're going to have this incredible opportunity to live out our faith, to grow in gospel awareness, to grow in Christ-likeness within the community. And Paul lists these out. He says there are things that hurt church family, and these are the things. He says bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. Clamor is when you just raise your voice and you shout at each other. Or slander or insult and malice. These things hurt one another. So avoid those things, but be tender-hearted when they happen. Be tender-hearted and forgive each other. 2019, he has a guarantee for all of you. Listen up. Everyone gets one. It's like Oprah. Everybody gets one. This is it. You are going to have an opportunity to forgive someone next year. Something's going to happen in your life where you are slightly hurt or offended and you will have the opportunity to forgive someone. And it probably won't be too long before someone has an opportunity where they need to forgive you for something that you've done. But Paul's saying, if you don't forgive in the church family, like, where does forgiveness start for you, right? If, you, if you're not prepared to forgive those who belong to Christ, where will forgiveness ever start? And Paul comes back, he says, like, if you struggle with this thing, if you struggle with forgiveness amongst each other, this tenderness, you need to be reminded that Christ forgave you. He forgave you. God didn't say, listen, I need you to get rid of that and I need you to get rid of this and then I'll forgive you. He didn't. He looked down at us and he said, I want you in my family. I will forgive your sin, accept you as you are. And when we're struggling with this thing, when we're struggling to be tender with each other, Paul, Paul's saying, be reminded that Christ forgave you. You know, the most amazing thing about all this is that we never, ever have to walk this road, a godly road, without God himself. God doesn't just stand up and say, all right, there's a whole bunch of ways I want you to live. Now live it. You know, keep climbing up the ladder and eventually you'll be like me. No, 
God comes down to us and walks with us. You know, one of the, the fondest memories I have is the day, it was, uh, I think it was the 16th of May, cold winter's day in 1998, and we were lining up for the Comrades Marathon. And I thought back to the eight months previously that we had spent training for this thing, all the mornings that we had woken up early. And I thought of this man, Chris, right? I have to be honest, when I first saw this beanpole of a man, I didn't think very much of him. But Chris was amazing because he began to run with us. His training runs with us. Now, he could have run a million times faster than us, but he didn't. He chose to run with us, to talk with us, to motivate us, to teach us. He ran his training runs with us. And you know what we started doing? We started imitating Chris. We started imitating how he spoke about running. We even started imitating some of his running jokes. We imitated his diet, his training plan. And that's what Paul's saying here. He says, be imitators of God because everything Paul's described in this last chapter is exactly what God's like. God is truthful. He will tell you exactly how it is. He will tell you how he feels, how he feels about you. He can be trusted in every circumstance and situation in your life. God is tender towards you. He forgives you in Christ. That same God calls you a child and is telling you to walk with him. Not walk alone, but walk alongside him. Pastor Timon asked me the other day, he said to me, he goes, how are you traveling? And I love that, right? It's not just how are you? It's like, how are you really doing? How are you going? How are you walking? And I think that's the question for all of us. How are we traveling? How are we traveling? God has given us his righteousness and his holiness. He has made you a new creation. And he says, I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you where we grow to be truthful, we grow to be trusted, and we grow tender. I wonder what we would look like as a community, as a family at City Reach, where we started to walk like this, in all truthfulness, in all trustworthiness, in all tenderness. What kind of community would we be? One, I think there would be a lot more love in this place. Love for each other, love for the Lord. But also we would become this light, a light. Because a darkened mind needs light. I'd like to invite the worship team to, to come up. We're going to finish with a song. It's a worship song all about building our life on Christ. Building our life on God himself. A God who is worthy of everything everything and he calls us to humbly walk with him but a God who's given us everything we need everything we need to work with him will you stand with me